Well, beloved, they say all good things must come to an end. And this morning, we are drawing our time in the book of Jonah to a close. I trust that the Lord has used this book, this account of Jonah's life, in your heart and life as much as the Lord has used it in mine. It has certainly been a glorious time in God's Word to see the power of God in salvation and the work that He does among the nations to bring them to that place of repentance and faith. Even as we think of the prophet Jonah and all that God had done in his life to bring him to that point where he could turn nowhere else except to the Lord. God is able to save. Amen? God is able to transform men and women, peoples and nations, rulers and kings. And with what is going on in our world right now, that is great news. Beloved, rest assured that your prayers for this nation or for any nation do not fall on deaf ears. Your prayers are lifted up to the one who is able to depose rulers and set rulers up. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. All things are an outworking of God's sovereign and calculated plan unto His glory. God is to be praised in the salvation of a people. Last week when we were together, we saw that God showed pity upon the Ninevites. Much like God showed pity on Nineveh. Or I'm sorry, on Jonah. And that this pity brought about a transformation of their spirit toward God and their behavior toward others. The first always precedes the second. God opens our eyes to the destruction of our ways and as a result, we turn from our wicked ways and turn to the Lord. God saved the Ninevites, both from the destruction that was in their hands, as well as from the destruction that was about to come upon them because of the wickedness in their hands. And in so doing, He brings about the blessing of this salvation, not only to the Ninevites personally, but also to those whom they interacted with. And further still, we see in our text for this morning that the blessing of God not only extended to them personally, but it also extends provisionally to all those around Nineveh. Notice with me in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Together this morning, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, 
where we see both the personal benefits of God's salvation as well as the provisional benefits of God's salvation. Jonah chapter 4 verse 11 says this, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. In our time together last week, we looked at the personal blessing of God's salvation. This week, I would like to take some time to consider that last phrase in the book of Jonah and see if you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, that's your fill-in, where we see the provisional blessing of God's salvation. First, the personal blessing, and this morning, the provisional blessing of God's salvation. Notice it again with me in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now that last statement in the book of Jonah is an interesting statement to end on. It has seemed to perplex many a commentator. I certainly was confused at it at first. Why would a book that deals with the exercise of God's mercy so precisely, but also so extensively, end with what seems to be a throwaway comment. Now let me assure you this morning, brothers and sisters, there are no throwaway comments in the Bible. Jonah certainly is not suggesting here that God is extending His salvation to the cattle Is he? Well, certainly not in the way that we think of salvation. I'm not convinced that this text is suggesting that God in any ways, in any way, saves the souls of cattle like he saves the souls of men. I'm not convinced that this raises the status of cattle or any animal for that matter to be on the same plane as those who have been made in the image of God. But there is a way that God does save the cattle here. But I don't think it is necessarily first and foremost for the cattle's sake. I think it is for the sake of the Ninevites and the surrounding territories. Just as the personal effects of God's salvation spill over into the lives of those around us, so the provisional effects of God also spill over to affect the lives of those around us. Notice first off this morning in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, what this phrase, and also much cattle, is modifying. Notice, it is describing the greatness of the city of Nineveh, not the pity of the Lord. The text does not say, should I not pity Nineveh and also the cattle? 
No, the text says, should I not pity Nineveh, in which there are 120,000 persons and also much cattle, in which is a relative pronoun that relates some relevant information about the greatness of the city of Nineveh. In that great city, there are 120,000 people and also much cattle. What we learn about the city of Nineveh from this text is that it had a great influence on the ancient world in which it existed. Not only because it had a lot of people who lived there, but also because it contained a great amount of livestock. I mean, think with me for a second the effect that wiping out Nineveh would have on the surrounding areas, especially socially and economically. One commentary on this passage says this, You can find it on the insert in your bulletin. It says, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire during a period of Assyrian dominance throughout the ancient Near East. Nineveh was a dominating presence situated on two major trade routes. The north-south trade route ran through Nineveh along the Tigris, while the east-west trade route followed the southern foothills of the Kurdish mountains and also passed through Nineveh. These routes created an ancient highway between the Mediterranean Sea and the Persian Gulf. Because of its location, Nineveh became a wealthy city active in trade. You see, brothers and sisters, Nineveh was the major city in Assyria at this time. It would have been the primary place, maybe the only place, that many from the surrounding territories would have gotten their food, clothes, and other supplies for daily sustenance. I think we see a very similar reality in our own circumstances. How many of you travel to Stroudsburg in order to get your clothes or food or supplies to fix up your homes? Now imagine if you can, Stroudsburg being completely wiped out. Where would you go then to get the things necessary for your daily routines and sustenance. Fortunately, in God's grace, we might have another place to go, but not those who lived in Nineveh. If Nineveh was gone, their whole way of life was gone with it. And one of the products that would have had the biggest impact on domestic life would have been Maybe you guessed it, cattle. Or another way to translate the word here is oxen. The 
cattle or oxen was the center of the daily lives of the people who lived in the surrounding territories of Nineveh. One commentary again says on this reality, and you can find it in your bulletin insert, it says in the ancient Near East, cattle were essential to everyday life. They produced milk, provided meat, and were used for difficult labor such as plowing. Because of their usefulness, cattle were considered a form of wealth and were significant offerings in ritual sacrifices. In the agrarian culture in which this text is written, to not have an oxen to plow your fields would have led to widespread famine and possible starvation. See, beloved, there were no tractors in this day, of course. There was no modern machinery, nor could you necessarily go to the local supermarket, the local Weiss, in order to get your daily fruits and vegetables. Most people in this culture grew their own food. But to grow your own food means that you would need an oxen to plow your fields. And if Nineveh is wiped out, then the cattle are wiped out with it. And what does that mean then, beloved, for all the surrounding areas of Nineveh? What we see in our text is that the salvation of the Ninevites not only affects them personally, it also affects the world provisionally. God, as an extension of His mercy and grace, provided for the physical needs of the people through the secondary means of that great city, Nineveh. And so we see that God was exercising His mercy in several ways in our passage. Not only was God meeting the spiritual needs of the people of Nineveh, but He was also providing for the physical needs of the people and the surrounding territories through the salvation that He brought to Nineveh. To save Nineveh was also to save many lives. Now, there are a number of applications that we could take from this. But the one that I want to focus on primarily this morning is how God uses His creatures secondarily to provide for His creatures. God uses His creation secondarily to provide for His creation. You see, God uses us, you and me, as the means by which He provides for the world around us, especially as believers. God is calling us to take that which He has graciously given to us in our time, talents, and blessings 
and to use them to be a blessing to those around us. Now we see this in a number of passages in the Bible. Take, for instance, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. It says this, as Paul is instructing the Ephesian believers about the effects and implications that the life of Christ now has on their everyday behavior, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We are to work as those who have something to share with those around us. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What we notice in Ephesians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 6 is that God is calling us to work hard and to use that which God blesses us with in order to be a blessing and to do good to those around us. Even God's call to Israel in the midst of the Babylonian captivity was to settle down work hard, and be a blessing to those around them until they were delivered. Notice it with me in Jeremiah chapter 29. Again, you can find it on the insert in your bulletin. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 1 says this, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find. Beloved, this becomes the pattern for all of God's people within the interim of His return. We, too, are exiles in a strange land. And we, too, are called to conduct ourselves in a way that brings glory to God and good to the people around us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, beloved, God provides for His creatures secondarily through His creatures. Saving Nineveh meant that God could continue to use Nineveh to provide physical sustenance to the world. And as we have seen, one of the most important services that Nineveh provided to the world were cattle. And not only this, but with a renewed heart, with a new desire that is on the Ninevites' part to forsake their wicked ways and pursue righteousness, the kind of provision that God would provide would be more abundant, more pleasant, and more beneficial. You see, beloved, when God saves us, when God transforms our inner man, that spills over into everything we are and everything we do. There is no separation between our church life, so to speak, and our Monday through Saturday life. All things are now subject to the Lordship of Christ. And our daily lives ought to be permeated with the life of Christ in us. Beloved, this morning and every morning, whatever it is you do, God is calling you to do so to the glory of God and to provide for the particular needs of those around you. You see, in the beginning, God gave man the responsibility and calling to subdue and work the garden in which he was placed. Work was not a thing that the curse brought upon man. Work was in the garden before the curse. And what we learned in our passage is that God uses each one of us and our work in some capacity to provide for the creation around us, through us. Martin Luther is famous for transforming the idea of calling and vocation in the Roman system of religion. You see, to Rome, being a priest or a monk was a calling above all other callings. This diminished the everyday calling of regular Christians. Luther saw the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker as much instruments of God's blessing to society as the priests. The transformation of Christ in the soul of man not only transforms him personally, but also transforms what he or she contributes to those around him. Luther once said that a dairy maid 
can milk cows to the glory of God. Gene Veith in his article on the doctrine of vocation, which you can find on the table out here in the foyer if you'd like to read more about this. But Gene Veith in his article on the doctrine of vocation says this. And again, you can find it on the insert in your bulletin. He says, Luther stressed that God Himself is living and active in and through vocation. He gives us our daily bread, which we pray for, by means of farmers and bakers. He creates new human beings and cares for them by means of mothers and fathers. He protects us by means of lawful magistrates. He proclaims His Word and gives His sacraments through the voice and hands of pastors. Vocation, says Luther, is a mask of God. We see only the human face performing ordinary tasks in everyday life. But behind that calling, through which we are blessed, God Himself is hidden, giving His gifts. Brothers and sisters, this morning, whether you raise cattle, or milk cows, or bake bread, or crunch numbers, or provide services, or engineer multi-million dollar pieces of equipment, or work on assembly lines, or do surgery on the human body, or teach children, whatever it is that you do particularly, God is calling you to transform that work by doing it from a heart that has been transformed by Christ. God graciously provides for creation through not only His creation, but through a new creation. Those created in Christ who are zealous for good works. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we see this reality from the Apostle Paul. Martin Luther is good. He gives us much insight into the Word of God. But the Apostle Paul himself is our only authoritative source to which we can establish faith and doctrine and practice. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers to continue to give to those who had need in Jerusalem. Out of the abundance of what God had given to the Corinthians, they were in turn now to give to Jerusalem. Now we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. Notice it with me. And I won't say too much on this so I don't spoil it for 3D tonight. Because this is also our text for 3D tonight. But I'll leave some of it for Rob and for those who are teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. And God is able 
to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that Paul is calling upon all believers in this passage to give bountifully from that which God has given to them. And that we should do this as those who have been transformed by the power of Christ. A power that instills within us a love for neighbor over and above a love for material possessions. And notice that Paul sees the believers at Corinth and every believer as the secondary means that God uses to supply the needs of those in Jerusalem and beyond. Notice this connection between the Corinthians and God Himself giving or supplying the need of those in Jerusalem in verse 8 through 11. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He, that is God, has distributed freely. He, that is God, has given to the poor His righteousness endure forever. Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, beloved, God gives to us in order that we might give to others. God provides for us so that through us He might provide to others. Here is the reality that we see in this text. God provides for His creation through His creation. As God saved the Ninevites, He not only ministered to them personally, 
But he also used them to minister to those around them provisionally. And God is calling each one of us to do so as well. And so no matter your calling, God is using your particular calling within the greater society to minister and to provide for the world through you. But as we have seen in the book of Jonah, Jonah not only points to the reality of the Ninevites, it also points further to the person and work of Christ. You see, there is one work that God could not entrust secondarily to His creatures. There is one work that God had to come down in order to perform Himself so that it would be eternally beneficial for all those to whom it applies. There is one work. And that is the work of Jesus Christ, the righteous. That is the work that Christ came to accomplish for you and for me. For all those who believe. That is the work that Christ does in setting our sins aside on the cross in order that we might be restored to God. You see, beloved, there is no work that we can do. There is no offering that we can provide that will secure for anyone, ourselves or those around us, the salvation that only Christ can offer. And so this morning, beloved, as you embrace your particular gift, as you desire to be a blessing to those around you, and to provide for physical needs of those through your physical gifts, may I implore you this morning, entrust yourself to the work of Christ. Entrust yourself to the only one who could accomplish salvation on your behalf. Entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. And embrace that which He has accomplished for you through the death, burial, and resurrection. You see, because of Christ, we can be renewed. We can do new and good work. May we trust in Christ this morning and every morning as He continues to supply for us that which we need to glorify God and to do good to our neighbors. Let us pray together. Father, we are so thankful for Your grace towards us. We're so thankful for this truth of the Gospel. We're so thankful for what it means for those who see You and see Your good provision. Father, may we embrace those callings which You have given to us in order to be a blessing and to cause flourishing around us. Father, we're so thankful that You have done this work in and through us to those around us. But above all, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that He accomplished. He and only He could atone for sin. And so this morning as we come, Lord, as we sing our final hymn, Victory in Jesus, may Your Spirit attend to the preaching and the singing of Your Word. And may it apply to our hearts the work of grace that only you can do. 
May we see ourselves as dependent upon you for all things. And may we trust in you evermore this morning. We're so thankful for it. And we pray this in your name.